the nervous system has to be in a state where it is dysregulated in order for chronic illness to really take root. So I would say yes, that trauma is a major, if not the major root cause for trauma for chronic illness. You know, I specifically work very much in the field of, you know, chronic toxin exposure and chronic infections. Um, and I do believe that those are triggers, but they are superimposed triggers on top of the already dysregulated nervous system. Like that's really what's setting the stage for these triggers to be able to take root and these chronic infections, you know, to be able to take hold. Because as the nervous system is dysregulated, the immune system gets dysregulated. And from then, you know, we don't necessarily have a shot right off the bat. I really enjoyed this conversation today with Sylvia. We talked about how the nervous system is affected by trauma and how trauma can trigger, mediate, and perpetuate chronic issues. Sylvia Hazel is an amazing integrative and functional nurse practitioner at CIH, Capital Integrative Health, that specializes in tick-borne infections, mold and heavy metal-related toxicity, fertility issues, and trauma-informed medicine. Sylvia enjoys working with her patients to tease back, in her own words, weeds and rocks to get to the soil beneath. A true master gardener that is helping her patients to map out their story, find out where it began, and plan out the health and wellness journey together with her patients. Please enjoy this conversation. So as um, I think a lot of listeners know, Sylvia, you've joined our practice um, last year in 2022. We're so glad that you have. Um, This is actually your first visit on our podcast. So just to kind of introduce yourself to the listeners here and to the community, um, could you tell us a little about why you became or how you became a nurse practitioner? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I was working as a bedside nurse for several years in several hospitals in the area. Um, And I quickly realized that I was seeing some of the same patients over and over again. Um, And I kind of wanted to be more a part of that proactive medicine approach instead of a reactive, not that that's not important. Um, But I definitely felt called to do that. Um, And in NP school, um, I had some of my own kind of in my personal life uh, things that came up that really drove me to functional medicine and integrative medicine. So very happy to be here. That's so great. I think it is often about personal experiences. And um, how did you find out about, you know, integrative health and functional medicine when you were kind of going through that? Yeah. So um, the story actually has to do with my daughter primarily. It's funny how like things that um, have to do with ourselves are not as important. But when it happens to a loved one, it's like way more important. You're willing to put all your eggs in that basket. Absolutely. Um, so it had to do with my daughter. Um, and we were just like not getting the answers that we needed from conventional medicine. Um, and actually, our pediatrician, who is wonderful, she recommended that we um, explore some other options. Um, and so that's how we kind of found functional and integrative medicine. I went and was like, why is this not just how we practice every kind of medicine um and from then on i knew i had to do that it is kind of like a point of no return right once you realize oh there's something out there that yeah. is getting to the root cause yeah this exists so i have to be a part of it yeah yeah so it sounds like it was a calling it you kind of came to it with with a loved one you know having some health issues now you're practicing functional medicine looking at you know mind body medicine yeah what do you enjoy the most about what you do as a clinician? Let's say that's a great question. Um, I think the connection is like probably the most important thing for me. Um, I'm learning that 
my approach is constantly evolving in the sense that I'm learning constantly from my patients. Um, and that is really fulfilling to me, but then also being able to establish these connections and this um, sense of trust, which is what so many people have not been able to establish with providers in the past. Um, and really, you need to be able to establish that sense of trust to create a therapeutic relationship where the patient feels safe um, and is able to, and willing to work through their product, their problems with you. One of the first things on Maslow's hierarchy of needs, I believe, is yep. the trust safety. Trust versus mistrust. Right, yeah. right. And connection is the medicine. Yeah. You know, we always talk about, oh, what kind of practitioner are you and what kind of specialty and what are your degrees? But it's really, you know, at, at the core of what we're all doing in integrative health, and I would even say any type of healing modality or medical care, um, it's connections for that relationship. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I know we'll get into this probably further in the podcast, but that idea of like co-regulation, that we have to have these safe relationships that we can co-regulate within. Um, and that's why community is so important. So what we are doing here at CIH is, uh, you know, very important in that process of helping us re-regulate our nervous systems. And I often tell people, say to people too, that CH is a clinic, but it's also even more a community. Yeah. So even for those listening out who have never been to CH at the clinic, you're part of that community too. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. So today we want to fo focus on polyvagal theory, uh, trauma and chronic illness. So let's talk about first what polyvagal theory is, how would you define that, and then we can talk about the other pieces. Yeah, absolutely. So um, polyvagal theory is a new way to kind of look at the nervous system, and it excites me. I'm smiling, and I don't know if you can hear that right now, listeners in my voice, but um, I'm smiling because it's, it's a new way to kind of help us learn about the nervous system, but also to re-regulate, and it gives us a different perspective on things. So typically, we've always thought about the nervous system as having just two branches, particularly the autonomic, which is that branch of the nervous system that we don't have to think about, that branch of the nervous system that works automatically. It's um, subconscious. Um, so typically, we've always thought that there's two branches. We have that fight or flight branch, and we have that rest and digest branch. Um, and what polyvagal theory actually is telling us is there is a more complex way of looking at this, and it might not be so simple. So a lot of times we think, okay, my heart is racing, you know, um, I'm, I'm anxious, uh, I feel jittery, all those things, I'm in fight or flight. And while that's true, um, there's a third kind of component that we actually have to think about there. So polyvagal theory is looking at um, kind of a tier of the nervous system. So we have that first tier, which is more of like a um, social engagement nervous system. So this is is what we're talking about with co-regulation. It's being able to be in a group with your peers, um, looking at their facial expressions, being able to discern what they're experiencing based on their facial expressions, based on the inflections in their tone of voice. You're being able to pick up cues that are not just simply in their words. Um, and so that that's like, you know, the top tier for this polyvagal theory, that's where we get fulfillment from being with people, where we create really strong connections with people, where we feel heard, all of those things, and safe. Um, the next step of that tier is going to be that sympathetic, so that fight or flight that we all think about, you know, when we're anxious or when we're worked up, when our heart is racing. Um, so that is definitely still a part of this, um, and we can still kind of flow in and out of fight or flight like we've always thought that we could. But there's a third component that polyvagal theory kind of brings in, which I think is really important, especially when we're talking about chronic illness. Um, 
And that's this idea of freeze. Um, freeze, unlike fight or flight, um, is actually regulated by the vagus nerve. So this is the parasympathetic side of the nervous system. This is also what helps to coordinate rest and digest. But um, freeze is a completely different mechanism that's happening here. Um, and so when we freeze, what happens in is that we say to ourselves, or our nervous system is saying to us, it is unsafe for us to fight. It is unsafe for us to flee. We are going to freeze. Um, and specifically with chronic illness, a lot of people are stuck in this freeze state. Um, and so that's kind of where the work lies as far as, you know, helping to re-regulate people's nervous system. So if the, there's a freeze mechanism, then essentially the, the vagus is somehow playing a role in, in modulating that, that ANS. And uh, this is different than I think we are classically taught in terms of ANS ANS divisions between sympathetic fight or flight response and a parasympathetic relaxation response. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is, um, you know, when we think about sort of medical complexity or health complexity, polyvagal theory is very attractive to us as, I think, functional practitioners, integrative health practitioners, because it's kind of like saying the symphony has more than two instruments, Yeah. which kind of makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it would sound good with two instruments, but it sounds better with and more complete and more accurate with with more than, you know, two things going on in the nervous system. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, the whole idea here, especially in, in the realm of like chronic illness, is that um, the mind-body connection, what we're always talking about, there is a, a map for that. We know exactly how that happens. You know, it's not just this kind of like um, esoteric or like etheric idea of like, oh, the mind and body are connected. No, there is a an actual um, way that that happens. Um, and so that's not to say that people that are experiencing chronic illness are um, psychosomatic of at you know, at any in any case there. Um, it's more to say that our mind is so powerful that we have the ability to re-regulate our nervous system and vice versa. Um, we have the ability to have our bodies tell our mind that we're safe too. Um, yeah. And some people call it the mind-body or the body-mind and even get rid of that hyphen. Exactly. Because you know, in a way that hyphen is a, in a way also a illusion. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, let's talk about how polyvagal theory relates to trauma and chronic illness. First of all, how would you define trauma since I know that's a big part of your work? Yeah, um, great question. So I get this question all the time with patients. You know, they'll say, well, I haven't had, you know, a big event in my life that um, I would consider to be trauma. And my biggest thing that I say to them is that it's trauma is not the event that happens to you. It's more related to what happens inside of you as a result of that event. Um, and it could be one event or it could be a series of events. You know, there's been a lot of research to show that um, cumulative stress can also show itself as if it were to be trauma. Um, and that adverse childhood events, ACEs, um, also have the ability to really, really impact, you know, um, nervous system health and psychological and physiological issues showing up later in life as well. Um, and then to make it even a little bit more complex, um, trauma might not even just be, you know, related to the event at all. It might just be related to whether or not you felt alone when that event took place. So um, there's a lot of research out there to suggest as well that, you know, 
people who have experiences that could be considered traumatic if they had a support system in place or if they felt like they were not alone when that event took place. Um, they don't have those PTSD-like symptoms. You know, they don't feel alone in processing that whole event. Um, and so they're able to kind of move through it. Whereas um, other people who might have felt alone with those experiences, they get stuck. They get stuck in that free state. They're unable to move through the experience and move through the trauma. Um, and that kind of gets stuck in their system. And then, you know, thus we see the free state of the nervous system. So stress is this construct of, you know, there's an imbalance in the system and it kind of overcomes the homeostatic mechanisms of yeah. an organism, which is okay acutely, but then chronically it can become, uh, it can get stored as trauma, it sounds like, physically. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I like to um, tell my patients, and, and I think that this is just a really powerful image, um, but the free state is equivalent to playing dead. You know, as animals, we see animals play dead when there's a larger predator at play. Ancestrally, we would do that as well. Um, and so that's what that's equivalent to. Um, the only difference is we're also trying to live our lives while being in that free state, which is incredibly difficult. Um, and and it's also hard to really find and dedicate the time to work on the nervous system to get yourself out of that because we don't live in a vacuum where you can eliminate all stressors and where you can just, you know, take months off at a time and be like, I'm not doing anything except for working on my nervous system. Yeah. yeah. Although I do know some people who did do that. Yeah. And it actually worked really well. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> They had the resources to do that time, but um, but yeah, how realistic that for people. But but definitely, it sounds like trauma is a root cause, if not one of the the biggest root causes of, of chronic illness. What what is your what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I would say um, the nervous system has to be in a state where it is dysregulated in order for chronic chronic illness to really take root. So. I would say yes, that trauma is a major, if not the major root cause for trauma, for chronic illness. You know, I specifically work very much in the field of, you know, chronic toxin exposure and chronic infections. Um, and I do believe that those are triggers, but they are superimposed triggers on top of the already dysregulated nervous system. Like that's really what's setting the stage for these triggers to be able to take root and these chronic infections, you know, to be able to take hold. Because as the nervous system is dysregulated, the immune system gets dysregulated and from then you know we don't necessarily have a shot right off the bat um, so I see working on the nervous system as kind of a bottom-up approach as opposed to just addressing mm. the trigger yeah. um, that yeah. would be more of like a top-down and the trigger could have been like you said present before but maybe the immune system has killed off the virus or the bacteria or at least gotten it under control but then the system is in the freeze mode yeah absolutely. so then you know sometimes even as practitioners or as as you know people with those health issues they people might be kind of you know how clear is it you know what is what is causing what is it the nervous system that's in freeze mode or there's still some ongoing infections i think that's where it's kind of a, a tricky and a gray area yeah yeah absolutely yeah. yeah yeah um so it sounds like chronic illness also chronic pain how would you you know kind of describe the relationship between trauma and chronic pain as well yeah i would say the same thing you know the nervous system has to be in this dysregulated state in order for that pain to be there and consistent you know um Obviously, inflammation plays a role as well. But again, we're talking about the immune system, which is governed by the nervous system when it comes to that too. So um, chronic illness and chronic pain, I would say both of those 
trauma is a huge trigger for. Um, and the nervous system is kind of like the switchboard that can dial up or can dial down. And um, it's the governing body for all of those processes happening. So as a functional medicine practitioner, I'm going to throw in the question that is uh, talking about some of the ANS procedures that we do here. I'm just kind of curious. Do you find that, so we do some things like quantitative EEG here, look at autonomic nervous system balance with the vital scan. Yeah. Do you find that these are potentially either helpful or at least in talking to people and informing them about, hey, there could be an issue with the nervous system or brain. Let's, let's address this as well as the, the mycotoxins and the, the chronic Lyme and other infections. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, the um, the vital scan, which is kind of looking at that balance of the autonomic nervous system, I think it is really helpful for people to see on a graph where their nervous system lies as far as, you know, is it in balance? Is it more on the hypertonic side? Is it more in stress response? You know, it's helpful for people to have a visual to be able to see that. Um, and then, you know, they're more likely, I would say, to... Uh, participate in the nervous system regulation activity. So seeing is believing and sometimes Mm -hmm. if the rest of society is saying, nope, it's all in your head and then they're not actually taking it seriously. Exactly. They've been kind of conditioned to that. But um, yeah, it sounds like this is a big root cause. Yeah. So how do you use this? Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say from the evoke standpoint, that is really helpful because the amount of people that show hypervigilance on that evoke scan are quite a bit. It's quite a bit, which Mm -hmm. that has to do with trauma. You know, that is your brain saying, I'm not safe, so I constantly have to be looking around me scanning for danger, which is what polyvagal theory really is about. It's this idea of neuroception. So even when you're not consciously aware that your body is scanning its surroundings for danger, it's doing that. Um, and so how do we intervene? You know, how do we intervene in that process, which I'm sure we'll talk about later in this podcast? Absolutely. We're about to talk about it. But if you're a patient or practitioner listening to this podcast right now and you have any trouble with, you know, feeling stuck in your treatment plan, think about trauma as a root cause of why you might not feel safe to even take that step one. Yeah, please do. Yeah. Um, so what are some, um, yeah, I guess we can talk about more um, how you kind of use this trauma-informed approach with your patients how you you know work with a patient, partner with them, patient or group of patients, let's say, to to kind of get them unstuck. Yeah, absolutely. So um, anybody who's experienced any kind of trauma, again, they're already in that state of hypervigilance. They're looking, they're you know checking, am I safe? Am I unsafe? Is there danger here? So the first step is really kind of to establish that relationship of understanding. Um, and also a validation, like what they're experiencing, whether it's chronic illness, whether it's chronic pain, they are experiencing that and it is very hard, you know. Um, and I also don't want anyone to ever feel like what I'm saying is this is psychosomatic or this is all in your head because it's not. And I'm, I'm fully aware of that. So that's kind of the first step is to establish trust between us. Um, and so the really interesting dance here is how do we – orchestrate working from a physiological level as far as like, you know, let's say there's a chronic infection. Do we address that infection first and hope that decreasing the infectious load on the body will help to help the nervous system to re-regulate? Or do we do the other? Is is the body, you know, in a state where it's already like hyper um, reactive to things and we need to work on the nervous system first so that the patient can tolerate things. So it's kind of this um, this dance of like, which do we do? Which do we focus on? Um, 
and figuring that out with the patient and also making sure that they're comfortable in the process. But I definitely recommend several different types of techniques as far as working on the autonomic nervous system level to patients. Um, And this is going to look different for everybody. And I will also say that trauma work is hard work. You know, it's not saying that, you know, just taking a pill or a supplement is easy, but it sure is easier than going back, revisiting your traumas and kind of working through that process that is messy and ugly and painful. Um, But that is hard work. So, you know, sometimes we talk about doing that. I definitely recommend to my patients that they have somebody that is um, qualified to be helping them through that process. Um, And then there's lots of therapies that I would recommend um, to help regulate the nervous system in general. You know, body work is huge, specifically myofascial release, craniosacral therapy. Those do work on the level of the nervous system. So, you know, as we're trying to remind our mind and our nervous system in our mind, hey, we are safe, we can relax, we can be at ease. Craniosacral therapy and myofascial release are doing that from a physical perspective. They're telling your nervous system with touch, hey, you can be at ease, you can be safe, there's no danger here. And of course, it takes time, you know, it takes several um, therapeutic sessions, I would say, probably to get to the point where the nervous system holds on to that safety. You know, it's probably going to, after the first session, you have it done and then they bounce back, you know, because it's been so used to being in that state of of danger response. Um, but over time, you really start to see that people will improve. Acupuncture is another great one for the nervous system um, from like a physical perspective. Um, and then there are lots of resources out there for patients um, to help them kind of develop that sense of trust within themselves and that trust with their body because chronic illness and chronic pain one of the biggest things that i see is you develop a mistrust for your own body you know and that alone is trauma you know that's increased trauma having a chronic illness chronic pain you wake up every day and you're in pain that's trauma in in and of itself because you're living in the body exactly Yeah. So it's kind of a a blend of all of those things, but um, really working with the patient to see what they need. I love what you said, too, about how kind of going for multiple sessions, because if you think about it, part of undoing that trauma includes, like you said, building that sense of safety. Um, I think on a mechanistic level, we talk about how we can build those hippocampal memory proteins that will kind of change those neural pathways. Yeah. That's what's happening with all those, you know, integrated body work techniques yeah. that you mentioned, whether it's that as uh, a p- passive kinetic therapy or something that they're doing themselves at home, some some way to kind of um, stay stay with it in a way. So I'm curious how you talk to your patients about how to stay with a, a program or kind of, you know, travel this, uh, you know, admittedly difficult road to yeah. deal with trauma. And, and, you know, and also how do you figure out when to start with them on that versus, hey, maybe you do start with an adrenal supplement first. Maybe you do start to kind of dip your toe in the water of healing and taking care of yourself until you get into the more deeper work. Yeah. So I like to set expectations from the start. Um, so typically, I will make sure that people understand that this is a journey um, and it's not linear. That's the first really important thing to know. This is not a linear journey where you just start and then you end up where you want to be and you're good. It might not even be curvilinear either. It's certainly not. <laughs> yeah, it is It is cyclical. You know, you'll get to a place where you feel good and you feel like you've traversed, you know, the, the wilderness and then you'll be back in a spot where you feel like things are really hard again. And, and that is part of the nature of healing in general. This is not just trauma healing, but this is all types of healing. 
feeling. Um, so I try to set expectations from the start that that's, that's what we're dealing with here. What's in the wilderness? Are there any foxes? Or? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, shadows, I shadows. would say. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So there's a lot of shadows. There's um, aspects of yourself that you're not interested in looking at. There's aspects of your life you're not interested in looking at. You know, those are the painful areas that make trauma work appealing to some and very unappealing to others. So it's the anti-Facebook, you know, like just show only the light part of the vacations and stuff. Yeah. You yeah. know, what do we show to other people? Right. Even, you know. Well, I think a lot of trauma is not being able to look at those aspects of yourself. You know, mm -hmm. like you put them mm -hmm. in a box because of something that happened and right. it made you feel uncomfortable and you felt unsafe to be yourself. Yeah. Um, and so it felt more comfortable to keep those things stuffed down. But in order to really work through that, you have to open the box. Yes. You have to open the box. You have to tease through it. You have to see, okay, what aspects of myself, you know, are, are really things that I'm unhappy with or were they was was I just unhappy with them because somebody told me that those were not acceptable you know was I a child that was being too rambunctious and I didn't feel like it was okay to be me so I stuffed that down and became this you know perfect example of a child but really I'm a shell of a person because I'm I don't feel like I can be myself you know it, those are things that that we think about when it comes to trauma and it, it might seem like something that is oh you know everybody feels pressure growing up and stuff like that but if you changed how you show up in the world based on any sort of experience that is trauma and those are shadows that we need to kind of look through and and work out and you have to show those shadows compassion you know you have to those were there for a reason they are a part of you you know whether you want them to be there or not yeah a couple of things kind of come up as you're talking about this sylvia is that you know for me anyway i definitely went through some i guess we could call it trauma even in conventional medical training, you know, just from having to toe the line. And, you know, we're, we're obviously still doing some conventional medicine here. It's a blend, it's an integrative yeah. blend. But, you know, you certainly are not meant in the in that type of, you know, educational environment, I would say, as, as good as it, as it is to, you know, be yourself. Absolutely. Right? I mean, that's not really what you're taught. You're no. taught to kind of toe the line. Um, it's almost like military, you know, work in a way. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I think for me, you know, having to kind of thread the needle of, you know, learning more about myself and light and shadow and integrative health and, and just, you know, evolving more into myself. I feel like we're all in this journey together, whether you're, whether you're listening out there as a patient or, you know, someone that's out there listening to this podcast in general or a practitioner, we're all in this journey together. And I think this kind of work with trauma and really seeing ourselves fully for who we are and who we are as people and how to connect to each other is you know connects us all yeah absolutely i would say that from that perspective you know from a more macro level a more collective level um you know when we think about where we are as a as a collective and there's lots of judging happening and and stuff like that and and all of that comes from places of trauma from mm, you know places of really insecurity insightful. and not being able to look at ourselves and so we try and focus our energy elsewhere yeah. um and and so i think you know working on our traumas individually will help us on the collective level hugely you know you know being able to look at ourselves and being like hey this might not be my favorite thing about me but this is me you yeah. know and i'm okay with that that's right. Um, so we'll talk about resources too. Let's say someone's out there and, you know, how did, how do they get started with, you know, so they have chronic illness. What are some kind of practical resources that you feel are really, really helpful for, for people just getting started with this? 
Yeah, great question. I think that one of the most beneficial things for people is some sort of practice that gets them out of the conscious mind. So that could be as simple as journaling, you know, just like stream of consciousness, like allowing yourself to write down what comes out. And eventually you might get to the point where you're like, wow, I didn't realize I felt that way, you know, um, and you'll you'll read back what you wrote and, and you'll think to yourself like, wow, I didn't realize that this had impacted me so much. Things will come out. Um, so that's a really simple way of doing that. That definitely does take time and it does take practice. Um, but I like to tell people, if you're willing to do that, start with just five minutes of day, write stream of consciousness. It doesn't have to be pretty. It doesn't have to make sense. It could literally just be words and not in complete sentences. But just getting stuff out, that's huge. Um, I would also say, you know, from a more... Uh, uh, formal perspective that potentially um, looking into therapies that help you to get out of your conscious mind. So hypnosis is super helpful for that. Um, it can be really helpful for trauma in general. Um, somatic experience technique also very helpful to help you get into the body. So when we experience emotions, we experience them not only in our mind, but also in our bodies. So if we can learn to discharge that emotion in our body, then we're not storing it there. Um, and we can also more easily discharge it in our mind. So somatic experience is really helpful for that. Um, and then other tools, community. Co-regulation is huge. I know we talked a little bit about this before, but if, if you have just one person that you trust and you feel safe with, um, you need to continue that bond. And, and part of that is being that person for, for that person as well, you know? So working together, you know, we think about babies and their bond that they have with their mothers from the get-go we're learning to co-regulate so babies are born they co-regulate with their parents you know um, whether that's skin-to-skin -skin contact whether that's nursing whether that's just being held by a parent and and being fed and given a bottle whatever that is that's co-regulation and what we know is that adults also need that um, so people who have issues with co-regulation, it could possibly be because they didn't have a really strong framework for that when they were a kid. And so they really have to work hard to establish those strong relationships as adults. Um, because really that's how you get through this. That's how you feel like you're worthy and like you deserve to get through this trauma and to work through it and to get to the other side. Um, but if you don't have that, if you don't have those people in your life that make you feel like you're worthy and you're deserving of it, then it's really hard to get the motivation to go on this journey that is, um, you know, we don't know where it's going to end. We don't know where it's going to go. It's this very uncertain journey. Um, and it's hard to commit to something like that when you don't have that support in place. Okay, well, now we're going to go real deep into the rabbit hole, but... Um, <laughs> Do you feel like our society or how do you feel our society handles or prioritizes community? I think that we don't prioritize community. I, I, I would say that I, I don't think that we prioritize community in the right way. I think that um, we prioritize it in some ways, which maybe are less important and that we don't prioritize it in other ways. You know, I think we need to focus on connection. You know, Absolutely. I think that needs to be the biggest priority as far as community is concerned. There are amazing things that people are doing around the world and even around the United States with communities, with living in community, with giving each other that community support, whether it's through, you know, religious organizations, whether it's just friends that are trying to do that for each other. It doesn't have to be anything formal. Um, but I think that we 
we all have this tendency and maybe it's the way that our society is set up but we all have this tendency to think i'm alone in this and you're not you know whether whether or not you're you're the only one going through your exact you know physiological manifestation of what's happening to you or not you're not alone in the feelings you're not alone in this journey everyone's journey is different but if you can have someone there with you that's like hey I'm on this journey to better myself too. I'm on this journey to, you know, make myself show feel okay showing up in the world the way that I am. There's everybody's out there doing that. You just have to find the right people for you. Yeah. And even if people do feel kind of isolated, lonely that are listening out there, physiologically we all all are connected, whether or not we think that, that or not. Yeah. We, we know that from research from heart math, you know, yeah. the kind of electromagnetic fields that are emanating around the heart eight feet you know in each direction yeah and all this stuff it's really cool it is so cool yeah yeah we're we're definitely all connected i mean and that's the whole idea of the social nervous system too it's like your energy is going to affect my energy right you know whether it's through your facial expressions whether it's through your tone of voice whether it's through you know your your posture whatever whatever is going on with you is going to affect what's going on with me exactly. so if we can work out a way to harmonize that so that we can both move forward together how, how how much better is that you know that's so much better and i have to throw this out there for all the mushroom lovers but we're all part of the my mycelium yes you know yeah so we're all part of nature and that's another piece is those nature-based therapies we oh had, yeah uh, tanya landing on i don't know her but yes. she's really amazing and um she you know leads people out in either retreats or you know individual sessions yeah I love that. And that's huge too. I mean, just the idea of taking a step back, right? So what, especially with trauma, chronic illness, we have a tendency to really get stuck in our own, you know, um, micro kind of situation that's happening. Um, and that makes sense because what we're dealing with is really hard. You know, we're experiencing a lot of pain or we're dealing with a lot of manifestations of our chronic illness and that's really hard. And it's obviously hard to just tell your mind, stop thinking about that because it doesn't work that way. But getting outside is such a beautiful way of reminding yourself you're a part of something bigger. And and that alone can be so profound as far as helping to lift things like depression. You know, that alone, just ha having a daily practice of getting outside, even if you start with five minutes and work your way up, getting outside, not doing anything, looking up at the sky, or if you have woods near you, get out in the woods. But get outside, take your shoes off, put your feet down on the earth. And and doing that has the powerful ability to like just completely change the course of things for you. So I'm going to ask another question that I think a lot of a lot of patients ask, um, you know, when dealing with chronic illness or chronic pain. But let's say that, you know, they kind of come back for follow up and um, there's some, you know, either polyvagal thing going on, there's some autonomic nervous system imbalance. Sometimes we might get asked things like, well, how how long do I have to kind of work on my nervous system or kind of even though there's not a, you know, prescribed or, or necessarily always predictable time course and it certainly is not a linear course, um, what what do you say to people when they're like, well, you know, I've been trying these things for a long time and I've tried like, you know, 10, 10 billion different types of modalities. I've tried yeah. EMDR, I've tried everything. Um, what do you say to a person like that who's, you know, feeling hopeless really yeah. and, and trying to trying to find some answers relatively quickly? Yeah, good question. Um, those are sometimes my least favorite questions because I feel for those people. Um, but I will say that those modalities, they're not for everyone. And so it's really important to pick 
not only the right one, but also the right order. Um, so this is where, you know, then I take the appointment into how do we get in touch with our body? How do we re-get in touch with our intuition and what's right for us? Because, you know, we tend to spend so much time in the conscious mind thinking and, and using logic. And so, you know, we read a review and we say, oh, this worked for this person. This should work for me. I'm going to do that. And then when it doesn't work, we feel discouraged. But the bottom line is that therapy, that might not have been for you. Um, so a lot of times we just start there and we say, okay, how do we get in touch with our gut and our intuition and determine what are the right therapies for us? Um, so, you know, typically what I do, I present a bunch of different therapies. I recommend some books to people. And then I say, let's sit with that. Let's see what comes up for you. Let's see how you feel. Now, of course, for someone who's in a pinch, that might not necessarily work. But at the same time, if you're in a pinch, you want to choose the right therapy and you don't want to waste your time with therapies that aren't going to work. Um, So it's kind of like a give and take there. But I would say that typically that is where I will start with someone who has tried just about everything and has not gotten, you know, results from that. I'll start with that. And sometimes, you know, as far as the length of time that, you know, people can commit to this, this is a lifelong process. You know, it might not look this intense forever. It probably won't look this intense forever. You know, your nervous system support in in a few months might just be you having a cup of tea midday, you know, a cup of tea. There it is. Exactly. (laughs) A cup of tea that says to your nervous system, hey, you're safe. This is for you. You're taking care of yourself because your body deserves to be taken care of. And this is nice, nourishing goodness for you. So there's actually studies on that, how offering a warm beverage to people regulates the nervous system and calms people down. So thanks for offering me some tea here today. Yeah, hug in a mug, I like to call it. That's good. Yeah, maybe eight (laughs) hugs and one mug. Yeah, exactly. There you go. (laughs) Nice. Um, So we can kind of wrap up this section of it, but I mean, this is so important because when we talk about, you know, functional medicine, integrative health, a lot of people coming in to see us and I think around the globe, even that aren't in integrative clinics, they have a lot of chronic issues going on, whether it's physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, or some combination, which you all know it's all related anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And then polyvagal theory as a really direct link to this trauma and chronic illness and a way to really get to some of the root causes in a really deep and profound and I would say very meaningful way. Um, Why wouldn't people want to keep on learning and evolving over time, right? Yeah. That's also a a big thing. What is one thing, Sylvia, you wish that everyone knew about this topic, whether it's practitioner or patient or, or anyone listening to this? Yeah, I wish that people would know that there's a nervous system component to every sort of illness um, and that it is worth your while to dig into it. Um, And not everybody's ready for that. And that's okay too. But the awareness of the fact that you're not ready is also powerful. Yeah. Um, So just being able to kind of look at that and say, you know, hey, there is a nervous system component to this. I'm not ready to go down that road yet. That's a huge step. That's a huge step. Um, And also knowing that this is not all in your head. This is not just, you know, just because you have pain and and there's a nervous system component to it doesn't mean that you're making it up or that it's all in your head. You're still having that pain. There are physiologic changes happening in your body. So I think that that is huge because typically when people hear about the nervous system and they hear about, you know, chronic illness, it makes them think that people are judging them or people are, are telling them that it's made up. 
and that's not what this is at all. And the system is actually actually directly sometimes verbalizing that to people 100%. like, oh, it's in your head, you know, yeah. kind of thing. Absolutely. Um, so that's that's a really great point, and it's very validating as well. Well, this might not be a question for just the uh, Dollar Tree or the Five Below store, but what is one thing under twenty dollars that you feel has transformed your own health? That's a great question. So I would say, you know, and you brought this up, but the getting outside piece, that's huge. It's free to do, um, except for time. It does take time. But once you start doing that, you're going to crave it and you're going to be, you're going to realize you can't go without it. It does so many amazing things for the nervous system. Um, and it could be, you know, if you live in the city, it could be that you just go to the park nearby. Um, if you live in an apartment, it could just mean that, you know, you have a lot of greenery inside and you try and spend time outside when you can. Um, I'm a big fan of woods. If you have some woods near you, going on a barefoot hike, that is just the perfect reset for me. Um, so I would definitely recommend it for people. Nice. Do you wear socks on the hike or you I just totally, uh, and then totally you just wash your feet afterwards or yep. nice. That's yeah. really great. And earth thing. We can talk about that too. Um, I know EJ had talked to uh, me about a website she found or a patient found, which was um, a thousand hours.com. Oh yeah. A thousand hours outside. Like, mm-hmm. Basically a thousand hours outside, yep. um, which is average out to about 3.3 3 or something hours yeah. a day, which is, I feel like if everyone did that, yeah. that would really help to uh, co-regulate and yeah. everything. You know, it's a big thing in the like child rearing community. I do that with my kids, but there's a lot of parents who are recognizing that kids now are very nature deficient. I mean, there's mm-hmm. there's so many. Uh, that's another rabbit yeah, hole. That's a total rabbit <laughs> yeah. hole. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, there's a lot of families that are inspired to do this with their children, um, mm-hmm. and I think it's fantastic. Have you heard of that? Like, is ADD really NDD? Nature yes. deficit disorder. Oh yeah, yeah. I've read all the Robert Louis books. Yeah. Yeah. All the. <laughs> All the good books. Well, thank you so much, Sylvia, for coming on today. This has been an amazing podcast episode and really informative for listeners. And if you're listening out there and you're learning more about when to learn more about trauma and chronic illness, Sylvia is offering a virtual trauma and illness group on February 6th at noon. Mm-hmm. And this group will be, be available to our patients uh, here at Capital Area of Health. You can check out our website or email emails for how to sign up. Thank you so much, Sylvia, for coming on today. Thanks for having me. It's great. Thank you for taking the time to listen to us today. If you enjoyed this conversation, please take a moment to leave us a review. It helps our podcast to reach more listeners. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss our next episodes and conversations. And thank you so much again for being with us.